Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sheriff is the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Sheriff as in there's a new sheriff in town and his name is Reggie Hammond or a.k.a. Sean Payton. Sean Payton walked into Denver, met the media yesterday, taking over the head coaching job of the Denver Broncos and didn't waste a second as he made it clear to everyone that he will be taming the Broncos. I was picturing the Denver Broncos franchise. Everyone's out of control. They're on that thing in the bar, the automatic cow. Everyone tries to hang on and everyone falls off and they're hammered and they feel no pain because they're hammered. Sean Payton comes in and I was picturing him shutting the electricity off, kicking people out of the bar and saying, listen here, I'm in charge now. Actually, we could have done a Captain Phillips thing. Sean Payton walked in and said, I'm your captain now. And he manifested it by going right after Russell Wilson. Hell yeah. Go right to the player who sucked last year, who's overpaid, and say, listen, whatever you were doing last year, we're done. We're not doing it. You've got your own special coach, your own people. Forget it. Not allowed. When you come into a losing situation and you're a coach who's got a lot to lose because you're not going the Bill Cower or the Tony Dungy route. You're not going the Jeff Van Gundy route, which is, hey, I'm going to stay in the booth, which, by the way, I get it. Makes perfect sense. Why get the bags under your eyes when you have nothing left to prove? Sean Payton did not want to stay in the booth, did not want to stay at the desk, negotiated a huge contract, tens of millions of dollars. The only downside... He had a takeover franchise where they needed a complete redo. So Sean Payton goes in and says, listen, here's the rules, Rob. We're not doing this on the discount aisle. We're doing a full cleanup in aisle nine. And the cleanup will be done by me. I will tell you who I'm going to hire. I will tell you who I'm going to fire. I'm going to tell you the team rules. I'm going to tell you the personnel who I want, who I don't want, who I want to trade, who I don't want to trade. Are you in or are you out? Because I'm pretty cushy here doing my pre and post game, notwithstanding the fact that they were going around him to his wife, who was saying, get him out, get him back to coaching. So Sean Payton 
took his power out for a walk and Rob Walton reeled him in. And Sean Payton, when you are a new coach, you want to exhibit your new power in ways that all players, all fans, all media, even the sponsors, even the employees in the front office, he wants to make it clear from the onset that it's going to be completely different. And what better way to start changing your culture than by going right to the person who had been the face of the franchise, who had been the face of the failing franchise, the player brought in in a huge trade from Seattle, who underperformed, got signed to that big deal, who just so happens to do what so many other athletes want to do, which is have their own people around them. And when Russell Wilson was traded to Denver, he got to walk in and say, listen here, you got a new coach. His name is Buddy Hackett. My name is Russell Wilson. Look at my fingers. Look at my ring. I'll do what I want with whoever I want to. And if not, you're going to have to answer to Ciara. So how does that manifest itself? He had his own coach. Let's say he had his own passing coach. Let's say he had his own quarterbacks coach. Let's say he had his own physical therapist. Let's say he had his own masseuse. Let's say he had people who had no actual function, but were just always around. There are athletes who do that. When faced with that, I always had a view that was sometimes trumped by the owner and sometimes not. My view always was, I don't want anyone in the building, in the around the team, who is not paid by the team. I found it to be a major problem. We had a coaching staff. We had a manager. We had a coaching staff. We had trainers. We had physical therapists. We had masseuses. We had barbers. We will supply you with everyone you need to do your job. If you feel like you need more people, let me know what you need and I'll evaluate it. But don't tell me that you'll only get a masseuse from your guy and you want your guy using our massage tables in our clubhouse. No, not going to happen. Don't tell me that you want to bring your hitting coach into the cage and not use our hitting coach. Not going to happen. If you want to go every morning before you come to the ballpark and go to another hitting cage outside the ballpark and work with your hitting coach, I'm not happy. Be my guest. You want to be Pudge Rodriguez and take a leave from the team? Go look at it. He took a leave from the team in 03 to go see his old hitting coach. He claimed it was something else, but that's all it was. Wasn't playing well. Leave. Go do it but not here. Sean Payton recognized immediately what he had to do and he didn't waste any time doing it. And I have great respect for that. The only question that goes unanswered at this moment is whether or not strategically he would call Russell Wilson before meeting the media, because here's what he did. Roll the tape, Coca. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell you what he did. I didn't even tell Coca during the pre-show to roll any tape. He was asked by the media about Russell Wilson's situation with all the people. And he said, oh, I'm not too familiar with that. <laughs> that was great. That's foreign to me. That's not going to take place. I'm unfamiliar with that. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. Where's the follow-up? When you were hired for this job, Sean, did you immediately call Russell Wilson and say, hey, I'm here to make you better? Did you call Russell Wilson and ask him to send the tweet out saying he's excited to work with you? Have you gotten a chance to speak to him? When managers or coaches have not spoken to the players they should have spoken to by the time they're introduced, here's what they say. 
I've reached out. I've been in contact. You can be in contact by texting someone and not hearing back by leaving a message on their phone. Have you actually met with the following player? That would be a cool question to ask, but people in the media don't want to ask it because it makes the subject, the interview subject uneasy because the answer is always no. Trump Payton didn't meet with Russell Wilson. Now, of course, I haven't seen anything written about it, but my experience tells me that didn't happen. Did he pick up the phone and call him? Yeah. Did he reach him? Eh, not so sure. So Russell Wilson, of course, has to deal with the following. Bring, bring. His personal, that's supposed to be my ringtone. I could have played the ringtone, but all of a sudden people are getting upset when I'm playing the Shit's Creek theme. I don't know why you would. It's so good. Copyright, copyright, copyright. Ever hear of a guy named Jake Heaps? Jake Heaps is the personal quarterback coach to Russell Wilson. First of all, the fact that he still has a job as the personal quarterback coach to Russell Wilson, that is shocking to me. But all of that said, normal. They all have their own coaches. Bring, bring. Hey, uh, Russ, I didn't get my credential yet for the season. Hey, I forgot to mention to you, Jake, uh, you can't come into the stadium. Well, what do you mean? Like, I can't come in to the clubhouse? No, no, you can't even come to practice. Like, to come to games, I'm going to leave you tickets in the family section. Well, but I'm always on the field warming up with you. And I'm always going over the game plan with you. I hear you, but I got this new coach and there's nothing I can do. That's one way it could go. Or Russell Wilson knocks on Sean's door. Come and knock on my door. I really need my Jake heaps. And you know what Sean Payton will say? We're changing the culture. We are making it so we are a unit. I promise you, I will help you, Russell, but you've got to commit to me just to me. See, changing the culture of a team, changing the clubhouse culture, the locker room culture, that doesn't happen overnight. You've got to gain the trust of your front office. You've got to gain the trust of your players. And you have to be consistent in the application of your principles and of your rules. If you lay down a huge set of rules when the season's starting, acting like the big man on campus, and then you have them violated by the star of the team and there are no consequences to it, the culture is not changing at all. If you say to the media when you start off, hey, just FYI, uh, I'm unfamiliar with this, but no, it's just going to be our people, no personal quarterback coaches, et cetera. And then the other 55 players on the team show up at practice one day come this fall. Hey, Jake, how you doing? That'll be it. That's the end of changing the culture. Now, a better question, an additional question, not a better question. An additional question. What happens if Russell Wilson plays like crap next year? If he plays great, there's no issue. Jake Heaps is out of a job. Russell Wilson has bought into Sean Payton. Sean Payton is getting a strain named after him in downtown Denver. Everything is coming up roses. But what if Russell Wilson is the Russell Wilson of last year and it wasn't the fault of Nathaniel Buddy Hackett and it's just the fact that Russell Wilson is not good anymore? Does that make Peyton a bad coaching choice? Not worth the money? Or does he all of a sudden get his quarterback's coach back? Well, hear me now and pay attention to me later. If the Denver Broncos don't meaningfully improve next season, it's not Sean Payton who will go. It's not Russell Wilson who will go because they can't still. It's going to be some coordinators again. They'll start down the chain and work their way up. As they say, we need to do better. But the culture change is starting. It certainly is. I'm, I'm happy for Sean Payton. I think that uh, 
short of that money, there are better situations to take over, I would think. And he could have basically had his choice. Maybe he's still bitter that he couldn't take the Miami situation. Remember the whole Brian Flores lawsuit got in the way of Sean Payton and Tom Brady going to the Dolphins. So Sean Payton had to wait a year and now he's parlayed Tua into Russell and he's parlayed Miami into Denver. Now, generally trading Miami for Denver, that can be a good choice. But Tua, a way better quarterback. Speaking of which, Coca, the uh, Brian Flores got a job. Did you see that? I had that wrong. I like admitting when I'm wrong and I was wrong. I thought Brian Forrest would not get jobs in the NFL again. I'm unfamiliar with the possibility of suing my employer and then knocking on the door and saying, by the way, I want to work for you again. And last year when Mike Tomlin gave him the opportunity to be the special assistant defensive line coach, I thought that was very nice for Mike to do to his friend Brian. But there was no way that I thought that his career would be back on track. There's a pending lawsuit against the NFL regarding discrimination, et cetera, hiring practices. It's not that he complained and is a whistleblower. There's actually a lawsuit. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Vikings stood up and said, you know, we're the Wilf brothers and uh, we know about racism and prejudice, but we really need to be better. Brian Flores, you're a hell of a defensive mind. Would you like to be our defensive coordinator? And I'll bet you a dollar. Someone go find this for me. Find me the Rooney rules about who gets compensated what. And I'll bet you a dollar that the Pittsburgh Steelers arranged the hiring of Brian Flores and gave him a title that guaranteed that they would not get compensation or have to give compensation because I don't think they're getting an extra draft pick all of a sudden for taking the chance with Flores. Although maybe that's the only reason they brought him in. And that's the reason Rooney was available. Of course, not Rooney as in the Rooney rule. That's maybe his grandfather. Hey, we'll give him a job. And if by chance someone takes him, maybe we'll get an extra pick out of this. You think Minnesota would be willing to give a pick to bring in Brian Flores? Can you imagine giving up a pick and hiring someone who's suing you? I love that. Does it make the Vikings better? Yeah, it's a good defensive mind. But really, all right, I got to switch now from basketball, from football to basketball. Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Do yourself a favor and get 6769s baked and watch a movie called Half Baked. You may find a character named Samson and everybody wants to talk to him. David P. Samson's my Twitter. Find me. Subscribe, follow, ask a question. Hello, David. Hello. It's always a good way to start. And asking a question about a topical event, that's another good way to get your question in the show. And this is quite topical, like an ointment. Hello, David. I was just seeing LeBron's comments about not getting Kyrie. What's the clubhouse like the week of the trade deadline? Well, thanks for asking. I like the second question about what the clubhouse is like the week of a trade deadline because it's an absolute disaster. You're trying to manage all these personalities. Everybody's reading rumors about themselves. Everybody knows in the Lakers clubhouse that there's a problem. Russell Westbrook is walking around knowing that there's a chance that after February 9th, he's somewhere else. And he looks around and says, how many teams can take my bloated salary? Even though I'm playing well as a sixth man, the Lakers are below 500. Kyrie wants to trade. LeBron wants to play with Kyrie. LeBron makes it clear he wants to play with Kyrie. You think Russell Westbrook is not packing a duffel, J-I-C? 
You don't think he's looking at places where he may want to live around Brooklyn? Easy access to the Barclays Center? Of course he was doing that. Trade doesn't happen, of course. Kyrie goes to Dallas. And then LeBron has to walk in and he tries to soften it by sending a tweet. Maybe it's me. Maybe what's you, LeBron? What? The fact that they didn't listen to you? The fact that you weren't offering enough as an organization? You couldn't outbid Dallas? Or the fact that it's you that the team is not playing well? No. You're still a top 10 player in the game at 38 years old. You're about to pass Kareem. It's not you. It's everybody else. You know how when you want to end a relationship or you always say to someone, it's not you, it's me. Or when something goes wrong or you can't perform or whatever the case is. Hey, hey, it's not you. It's totally me. My brain's elsewhere. My body's elsewhere, whatever the case is. What that really means is, hint, hint, it's not me, it's you. But I'm going to say it's not you, it's me, because that'll make you feel better about the fact that it actually is you. But in LeBron's case, when he says maybe it's me, what he really means is, hey, Rob, I think it's you. That's Rob Palenka, the GM. Sure as hell isn't him. So this week right now, we are heading to the deadline. What's the date today? Today's the 7th. The trade deadline is the 9th. I do not know what time the NBA trade deadline is, but here's what happens when teams are in their clubhouse. There are two trains of thought. My train and my GM's train, all the GMs who ever worked under me, with me, for me, against me in some cases. I like keeping players in the loop. When there were players we were trading at the deadline of the trade, the trade deadline, I would say to them, hey, I don't know if a trade's going to happen, but we're in active discussions. You understand why you're going to be a free agent. We're not sure if we can re-sign you and we have a chance to get something for you. And by the way, we really don't have a likely chance of making the playoffs. Or, hey, you're reading about yourself. Let me tell you what's true, what's not true. The reason I was okay communicating with players is that when it didn't hurt my leverage or hurt anything about the competitive ability to make a trade, then what's the problem in letting a player know what's happening? If I thought that there was going to be an issue with that player knowing, and that player was going to do something to try to subvert what our goals were, and players have done that, where they'll do something crazy or they'll call teammates on another team and say, by the way, I'm rumored to be going to you. I won't even show up. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to leave my home. I don't want to leave my kids, whatever the reason is. Or they call their teammates, their current teammates, and say, hey, they better trade me. Want to leak the fact that I'm unhappy and I want to be traded? There's all sorts of back and forth that goes on. I always liked communicating inside the clubhouse. There are GMs who don't. They just, at the end of the deadline, after the trades are done, every team has a team meeting. Just as a little side note, after every trade deadline, every team has a meeting in the clubhouse or locker room because you've got to move on to the rest of the season and the tumult is behind you. One of the reasons why MLB stopped the trade deadline of being in both in July and in August, remember that? There was the July 31st deadline and then there was an August 31st waiver trade deadline, which to make a long story short, players were eligible to be traded only if they cleared waivers and you could block players from clearing waivers, which would stop them from being traded to your competitors. There's a lot of examples of that happening if you if you Google it. But there were two different deadlines, and, and presidents and GMs didn't love that. And the reason they didn't love that is you're 
have a clubhouse issue in July. You fix it July 31st at the end of the deadline, but then it sort of creeps up again as you go through August and you've got to go through the whole same damn thing again, where at the end of August, you have to say, all right, this is our team now. Go get them in September. Meanwhile, we're about to lose 100 games. And no one gives a crap and no one's paying attention and everyone's playing selfishly. Or you're in the middle of a pennant race and you're like, hey, sorry about the distraction. We lost a few games there, didn't we? But now let's focus. Either way, there was not a lot of great upside, which caused MLB, among other reasons, to make one trade deadline. In the NBA, it's the same thing that's happening. Think about what's going on right now in Brooklyn as a great example. You think that Finney Smith and Dinwiddie are out there renting apartments for the rest of the year? You don't think they're thinking about, wow, what if they package me along with these first round picks they got and make a bigger move to put someone next to KD? Or what do you think is going on in LA? Are they going to attach me? What if I get attached? You think that Markeith Morris was thinking to himself, hey, I'm ready to go to Dallas with Kyrie. It was the last thing he was thinking about. So the way these trades happen is they get expanded. You try to involve other teams. There was a rumor yesterday. This is a good one. The reason why the Nets Mavericks deal for Kyrie did not get announced until late yesterday is it was reported that the Nets were looking to get a third team involved and make it a bigger trade because they're trying to get better. And the problem with that leak is it doesn't serve the Brooklyn Nets organization. Because when you leak that you wanted to do a three-way trade and not a two-way trade, but you end up with the two-way trade, what that's saying to your team is, hey, we're not good enough after the two-way trade, and we really needed a three-way trade to make this trade worthwhile. So, hey, guys, we got back from Dallas. We love you. Here's your uniform. Here's your locker. But by the way, I wouldn't buy dishes. So they couldn't get the third team in, so they announced the two-team trade. And then, you know, word came out that it was going to be Markeith Morris going as well. It's just funny to me that that's how trades work. There's an ad here. There's a subtract there. You want this guy? Fine. Then we want that guy. We have to make it like it's two for two plus picks. Be that as it may, the tension is palpable. So in LA, it's real. In Brooklyn, it's real. What about the Knicks? You don't think the Knicks are sitting around saying, wow, another year of mediocrity. We were playing great for a moment. We really have a chance here. We'd like to get out of the first round for the first time in forever. We may have to move some guys. So you've got Fournier sitting around or Quigley, everyone sitting around saying, is it me? Is it not me? Could it be me? Do you think anyone would take on my deal? Hi, I'm Randall. It all ends in 48 hours. And the importance of that meeting after a trade deadline cannot be understated. The importance is this. If your players don't believe you about your belief in them, they're not going to play well going forward. And we all say the same thing after the deadline. We are proud that you're our guys. Let's go. You don't think Russell Westbrook hears that and looks at him and says, screw you. You would move me for anything if I weren't making as much money as I'm making. I know you don't believe in me. So you got to be careful what you're saying. You need to do some side conversations, pull some people aside before you start. Talk to some people when you're done meeting with the team. Try to get players to work on your behalf as you're trying to mend fences. There are bruised feelings, bruised egos. All that happens after the trade deadline. And up to the deadline, there's a lot of chattering. That we I used to walk in the clubhouse. It's a true story. And the first thing you do, our clubhouse in pro player was more rectangular. And in Marlins Park, it was more like an oval. And we built the clubhouse in Marlins Park so all the players could actually see each other. And there weren't corners and, and there weren't trying to get rid of clicks, which of course didn't work, but that's what we tried. 
And when you walk in after a trade deadline into that clubhouse, there's players who are sitting in pockets. And you know that you have to look around, quickly surveil the situation, and go to the pocket of players where they know that they were just about to be traded and didn't get traded. And you beeline over to them, you sit down, hey, can I pull up a stool? Yes, that's a real thing. Or you could say pull up a chair. Hey, let me just tell you what went down. But think about the fact that if I had spoken to that player prior to the deadline, that player knew exactly what went down, and I'm going to do a recap, talk about it. Hey, why didn't you move me? I've had players ask that. What were you offered? What did you expect? What did you want? But if you're one of the types of executives who doesn't tell the players anything till after the fact, you have to go meet the player and say, hey, I don't want to talk about it. Or, hey, yeah, I couldn't talk about it. It was going on. Dude, why didn't you give me a heads up? Yeah, I just felt like I couldn't. Think about it. You're already behind the eight ball when you're having the conversations. So there were multiple reasons why I did what I did. But I liked your question. What's the clubhouse like the week of the trade deadline? Very, very quiet. Very nervous. But it's almost over in the NBA. All right, we come back. We're going to review the movie that I think got looked past when the Oscar nominations came out. And then we're going to talk about a one-on-one interview, a fascinating decision that Steve Cohn made on the eve of owners' meetings to give a one-on-one to Jeff Passan and ESPN. We'll be right back. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you. Please rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Go to the YouTube channel at NPDS or just backslash nothing personal with David Sampson. Please hit the subscribe. We're still trying to do the giveaway at 12,000 subscribers. I cannot figure out how to make the number go up faster. There should be people who are paid to do that. Maybe I'm one of them, but what an abject failure. But at 12,000, we'll try another giveaway. Our 11,000 or 10,000 giveaway never contacted us, Coca. I even forgot his name. All right, so I sat down to watch a three-hour movie that was not a miniseries. It was called Babylon, the new Damien Chazelle picture. Remember, he did the Best Picture winner, uh, La La Land. Emma Stone won Best Actress. They won Best Picture when they were announced by Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, one of the great Oscar mishaps of all time. And then it really wasn't them winning Best Picture. It was Moonlight. And they read the wrong envelope and they'd given their speech thanking everyone. And then all of a sudden someone whispered in their ear, hey, man, it wasn't you. Hey, crikeys. Go watch the tape on that. It's funny as can be, although mortifying. It changed the way they do. Everybody changed. Side note, Coca. 
Why does everyone change the rules as a result of an action that happens? Why can't you imagine or project all the different possibilities and then deal with them up front? That seems to be my job. I don't want to be reactive. I want to be proactive. If I know I've got Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway going up there or anybody, I'm going to make sure that I'm looking at the envelope I give them to read before they go out on stage. Instead, they got the Emma Stone La La Land Best Actress envelope, which had just been announced, and he read La La Land. Anyway, it's the same guy who made a movie called Babylon. Babylon is about 1920s when Hollywood moved from silent movies to the talkies. Margot Robbie plays a silent movie star who becomes a talkie movie star. Brad Pitt plays an aging silent movie star who gets into talkies. It stars so many people. Tobey Maguire's in it. Elijah Wood, the Lucas Haas, excuse me, the little kid from Witness. I think that may not be how people know Lucas Haas anymore. And I may have just shown my age. Coca, when I say Lucas Haas, do you think little boy from Witness with Harrison Ford and, and Kelly McGillis? Or do you think something else? What do you all think about Lucas Haas? Tommy McGuire makes a cameo. He's a producer of the film. He makes a cameo playing like a mob boss who looks exhausted and looks like crap. The production design, the cinematography, the editing, the soundtrack, the acting, it's all phenomenal. And this movie got overlooked for best picture. Margot Robbie got overlooked for best actress. Brad Pitt got overlooked for best supporting actor. Damien Chazelle got overlooked for best director. Wait till you see this movie and how difficult it was to make. The one thing that did interest me among others. It's not the one thing. That's such another verbal tick. I stopped saying right, though. Did you notice that, Matt? Right? Like, I don't say that anymore. I actually would practice in front of a mirror doing segments of the show, contrary to what you all may believe. There's a lot of preparation that goes into being unprepared. And I would listen for that tick, and I got rid of it. So, right? So, <laughs> I can't even say it now. It sounds so bad. What were we talking about? Oh, the fact is that I, it's another verbal crutch I use, which is, and there's one more thing, or the one thing is, but if I've said three things about something, then it's not the one thing is. So Babylon, another thing that I thought about. The music in Babylon, tell me if it sounds familiar to you, because it sounded a lot like La La Land. And was that sort of confirmation bias because I know it's the same filmmaker, the same director, or... Is it true that the score of La La Land was so similar to the score of Babylon? I don't know. These things I ponder. If you want to watch it in parts, split it up into two one and a half hour parts. That makes it more manageable. If you're like me and you can watch a three hour movie, no problem, or a three hour miniseries or a three hour docuseries without a problem. Just look at it as a three part docuseries of an hour each. You will not believe the generosity of Margot Robbie and of what she gives to herself in this part and how over the top it is in such a great way. She is becoming, and maybe already is, a true, true movie star, like the old fashioned, gorgeous movie star. And Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt. I mean, how do you not want to see a movie with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie? I wonder whether Steve Cohn has seen Babylon. I wonder whether Steve Cohn knows he's building a city like Babylonia. Steve Cohn is heading into spring training. We're a week away coming off the offseason that makes people happy if you're Mets fans. Less than happy if you're fans of other teams in the National League East or other teams in the National League. His offseason, re-signing Diaz and 
Nimmo, letting DeGrom go to Texas, but bringing in Verlander, replacing Walker. He's done a lot of stuff, actually. I think he probably spent just under the Yankees because they signed Judge to that huge amount of money. But here's the big stat for the Mets that we told you about. His luxury tax payroll, and along with the luxury tax that he's going to pay, he's well over $450 million in player compensation this year without pension, without anything. Add in all the other things, he's getting closer to $500 million. He, The Mets and Steve Cohen have the highest payroll by way more than what anybody anticipated. Steve Cohn, I have said this, I will stick to it, was told, stay away from Correa, do not bring your payroll over $500 million. I've had no one prove to me otherwise. What I don't understand is why Steve Cohn would get an interview to Jeff Passan. Notwithstanding this, Jeff Passan, I don't understand why I wouldn't give an interview to someone at MLB.com, someone with the Mets organization. I don't know what the purpose was. And what he said was extremely troubling to Major League Baseball. He said, I've heard what everyone else has heard, that they're not happy with me, they being Major League Baseball and other owners. I hear things from people who are maybe more neutral, that they're taking a lot of heat from their fans. He's talking about teams who don't have payrolls like Steve Cohn, who in theory have rich owners. And the fans are saying, why aren't you spending like Steve Cohn? And then he said, I kind of look at that like you're looking at the wrong person. They're putting it on me. Maybe they need to look more at themselves. I'm not responsible for how other teams run their clubs. I'm really not. That's not my job. What Steve Cohn is saying is exactly correct. There are 30 individual owners in baseball, and there are 30 different agendas. And it's the job of the commissioner to try to get some intersection of those agendas so they can make things happen in owners' meetings. When votes can take place on creating MLB.com, as an example, on revenue sharing, on collective bargaining, on rule changes, on myriad other subjects, you have to find ways to get majority votes. Some require 50%, therefore 16, a vote of 16 to 14 is a win. Some require three quarters, that's a 23 to seven vote to win. But there's always a counting of votes. Owner v. owner problems are old in baseball. Very, very common. The big issue in the 1994 strike was that owners were fighting amongst each other. High payroll and low payroll teams, large market and small market teams, as they were called back then, they were arguing over how much money should be given from these high revenue teams to the low revenue teams. These are legitimate arguments, so legitimate that John Henry used to be arguing on behalf of low revenue teams when he owned the Marlins and now argues on behalf of high revenue teams when he owns the Red Sox. And the irony is that John Henry, as owner of the Red Sox, is pissed off at Steve Cohn, owner of the Mets, because he's one of the owners who Steve Cohn said, why don't you look in the mirror? Why aren't you spending more money? Why are you letting Bogarts go? Why are you letting Betts go? Well, we re-signed Devers. We signed Trevor Story. We overpaid for that left fielder. Come on, man. We're in it. Stop making us look bad. Owners go around talking to each other, saying, hey, just don't make me look foolish. 
Don't surprise me with anything in the paper. Don't make me look like I'm not in charge. And for the love of God, please, fellow owners, please make it so we all can look good to our own fan bases and then beyond. That's sort of the unwritten rule. That said, owners don't really pay attention to the unwritten rule. Owners act in their self-interest. We all act in our self-interest. How many times can you say when you are going through the many decisions you make through the course of the year, how many times exactly can you say, yeah, that was purely not in my self-interest? Thank you. Count for me today the number of things you do where you don't have an angle that benefits you. I'm not angry with Steve Cohn for signing the players. I'm angry and surprised at the timing of calling out other owners as you're going to an owner's meeting. Now, the irony is that there were plenty of owners, including George Starman or including Peter Angelos when he wasn't lying down, who didn't go to owner's meetings. Artie Moreno doesn't like going to owner's meetings. Therefore, you don't have to deal with the other owners. You don't have to have them look at you funny. You don't have to feel like you don't belong. And you don't have to think about anything. You send your team president. Let him be mocked. But Steve Cohn will go to the owner's meeting and he's going to get spoken to. He's not going to get scolded, but he's going to get spoken to, both by Hal Steinbrenner, by John Henry, and by Rob Manford. And what they're going to say is, we need to really talk about your PR. Because if you are trying to get revenue with the Mets, and by the way, Steve Cohn's additions, take a look at the Mets revenue, take a look at their attendance and their ticket revenue, their average ticket price, the bump that you would expect from all the excitement going on with all the signings has not exactly taken place. The Mets were in a race to win a division at the end of last year. Granted, they had started off great and played less great in the second half, but it's not like City Field was selling out every night. I mean, it's not like New York should ever be confused with St. Louis or Chicago or Boston. And I'm not saying anything bad about New York. It's just, it's different cities, different fan bases. But Steve Cohen spending all this money and then saying, hey, don't blame me. I'm playing within the rules. He got that line from George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner's famous line when asked why he was spending so much money is, hey, I don't make the rules. I follow the rules. And the rules make it so I can take advantage of these things. It's like people who take advantage of loopholes in the tax code. You can't blame them for doing it. They're not doing anything illegal. It's called a loophole. If you can get past the loophole, if you can close the loophole, then people figure out what else they're going to do. How else they're going to gain an advantage. Steve Cohn is using the tax code to allow for losses that are allowing him to have payrolls that are absolutely unreasonable. And he told you that in this interview. He actually said, the goal is to eventually get our payroll down to something more normalized for a New York team. He's foreshadowing what he told you when he took over. I've got three to five years to win a World Series. Hint, hint, that's also my tax break. I will spend, spend, spend for that period of time, and then we're going to have to ratchet it back. People are complaining about the Dodgers ratcheting their payroll, not bringing it into ridiculous heights, letting Justin Turner go. Give me a break, would you please? You cannot expect teams to act irrationally and irresponsibly or any company or any business. Remember, it's a business to them. It's not a team being held in community trust and we say that all the time. It's not that. 
It's not a 501c3. It's a for-profit business. And no matter how rich an owner is, they want to run a business for profit. And the Mets can't make a profit without owning SNY, period. Therefore, the peril is going to come down. Therefore, what are you doing given the interview? That's all I would have said to the owner is what is the upside? You have let your action speak for you. The fan base is excited. No one can wait for opening day against the Miami Marlins at 4 p.m. on March 30th. Everyone's excited. Is it going to be Scherzer? Is it going to be Verlander? Don't get too excited. It'll be Scherzer if he's healthy. We'll be the opening day starter. I promise you. Not even a wait to see. I promise you it's going to be Scherzer. All of that said, you've let your actions speak for you. And when your actions speak louder than your words, then don't talk. When your actions speak softer because they stink than your words, then stand on the highest mountain you can find and yell and scream. I'd like to do that about my nothing personal pick of the day, Coca. I'm tired of it. I had the Nets plus six. The line ended up Nets plus eight and a half, and the Nets lost by eight. That means the Nets covered, but I have to take the loss because when I did the show yesterday, live at 8 a.m., which will be live again tomorrow, every other day, it was Nets plus six. So if you put your Nets bet in by listening to the show later in the day, you won. But I have to take the loss. We're 17 and 19. It's annoying, actually. All right, I got several things that we're going to do right now. We are talking about the Lakers game. The Lakers are playing the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. Coke, is that game on national television? I assume it's got to be a TNT game because LeBron James is 36 points away from breaking the record. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will be in the house at the Staples Center for 869. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will be in the house at the Crypto.com FTX Arena, two, four, six, nine. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will have to attend the game when the Lakers host the Thunder at 10 p.m. on TNT at an arena that I can't remember the name of because SBF has a real problem in J-A-I-L. How about no cryptocurrency commercials during the Super Bowl? Is that an indication maybe that Miami coin may not be the thing to invest in or any of the cryptos? They were all hot and heavy. Remember last year's Super Bowl? Totally off the subject. But last year's Super Bowl, there were all sorts of these commercials and everyone was jacked up. Let's buy. There's Tom Brady. There's Larry David. Let's go, go, go. This year, it's like, you want 6 million bucks? Man, we got to give that to our creditors. We're not spending that on 30 seconds in front of 100 million people trying to steal their money. We got to find a different way. We already stole their money last year. <laughs> the total number of crypto commercials this year, zilch which is exactly the value of your account. Anyway, I digress. LeBron James is playing the Thunder. We are making two separate bets on this game. One, Lakers minus seven and a half over the Thunder. Lakers are going to come out and crush. The Thunder are not a good team. Now, while the Lakers have this distraction, it's coming to an end. They've been looking and waiting for Kareem. They've all been warned. The game will be stopped. They go to the, the NBA goes to the Thunder management, the Thunder players about what will happen if he gets his 36 point or 30s. He needs 36 to beat him. Or is it 37, 36 to tie, 37 to win, or 35 to tie, 36 to be the all-time scoring champion, a record that Kareem has had since 1984. 
So they'll stop the game. They'll have a presentation. They'll do a few things, start the game again. But guess what? It's not going to happen tonight. The Lakers are going to crush, but LeBron is not going to score 36 points. There is a parlay with LeBron going under 32 and a half points, but over seven and a half assists. We're making that the second bet of the day. It's a plus 263 wager. What does that mean? That means that I think LeBron is going to pass the ball quite a bit. Why? Because I think the NBA and LeBron would have a great interest in LeBron breaking the record Thursday. Let's spread it out. We got another national game Thursday night. And guess who the Lakers are playing still at home? It's arranged perfectly for it to happen at home. Kareem doesn't have to travel. It's all good. Guess what? They're playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, with Giannis. Yes, Kareem's old team. It's perfect. The NBA, if it's scripted like the NFL, haha, tiny conspiracy theory, which I don't buy for a minute. I mean, referees know who the league wants to win, and I, I grant you that. Anyway, sorry. I get off the subject sometimes, right toward the end of the show. But hear me now and listen to me later. LeBron will break the record on Thursday, not tonight. You wait to see. And that's an official wait to see. LeBron breaks the scoring record Thursday, not Tuesday. In the meantime, the two bets we're going to have, Lakers minus 7.5 over the Thunder and a parlay of under 32.5 points, but over 7.5 assists. Let's get some plus money. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about it. It's just business. Thanks for being here. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.